0: I was shocked. I knew that my interviews were going pretty well. I felt pretty good about it, but I had been working to break into double for a couple of years now, and just to be able to hear a job had been offered to me and that it was the Sea dogs kind of took me a second.
1: This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. Welcome, Main Biz listeners. I'm Andrea Tetzlaff with the Main Biz podcast team. Today, you'll hear from Emma Tiedemann, Director of Broadcasting with the Portland Sea Dogs, the AA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Emma came to the Sea Dogs following longtime broadcaster Mike Antonellis being promoted to AAA Pawtucket. Today we're going to hear from Emma, talk about how she started in broadcasting, how she came to join the Sea dogs organization only to be sent home amid the cancellation of the 2020 season. Emma was facing the daunting challenge of meeting and working with coworkers that she had never met in person and keeping their fan base engaged with a team that she had yet to call a game for. Here is her story. As the CEO or owner
0: of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, you've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's v i s t a g e dot com.
1: Welcome, maine, Biz listeners. We are talking today with Emma Tiedemann, director of broadcasting with the Portland Sea Dogs, the AA minor affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. I'm talking with her about what it was like to join the Portland Sea Dogs organization, only to have the 2020 baseball season canceled. So Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. Of
0: course, happy to be here.
1: Give us a little bit of history of of your participation with baseball and with broadcasting, or, or just radio in general. When did you start working in radio, and was it sports broadcasting from the start?
0: Yeah, so I got started actually when I was 15. I got started earlier than most, and that was just because my grandfather was a play-by-play broadcaster for 60 years. He was the voice of the... Texas Rangers, the Chicago White Sox, and the Dallas Cowboys. And so I grew up listening to all of his stories. And once he retired from the booth, he uh, was a professor at the University of North Texas and would have his students go to a Division three college that was right down the road from me at the University of Texas at Dallas and call games with him and me as a kid I grew up playing every sport imaginable as a kid from Texas I even played football with the boys at recess in elementary school very nice Um, so so sports were a huge part of my life so I would go with him to just keep score originally so one game when I was 15 his partner his student couldn't come to the game so we had an extra headset and he handed it to me and he said you know you know basketball like how about How about, you know, you you do the broadcast with me. And I was like, okay. And I fell in love with it immediately. It was a women's basketball game. And I just loved how you had to be on the entire time and, you know, be creative with how you describe plays and just everything around it. It was just so fun. So from there through high school, I continued broadcasting, branched out from basketball to softball, baseball, volleyball, all those types of sports. And by the time I was ready to go to college, I knew exactly what I wanted to do at the time. I wanted to work for a network, calling sports year-round, any type of sports that I could do. And and so from there, I went to the University of Missouri and did a little TV work, but still just love the radio side of things whenever it comes to broadcasting.
1: What was it about radio for you that you felt particularly compelled by?
0: It's the fact that your listeners can't see anything. So you have to describe everything that's in front of you. And that extends past the foul lines, too. So if something's going on in the in the stands or, you know, say sluggers up to something, and, and that's a fun little tidbit to add to the the atmosphere of the ballpark. It's the weather that's going on. It's the wind. It's it's everything plus the baseball. And so then you have to describe the pitch movement, what type of pitch, the velocity, you know, the fielding. It's all those little details come together to paint a picture. Whereas TV, they have the picture, and you just kind of bring in the, the captions, if you will, to describe why they're doing it. But radio is just a whole other beast of where you have to come up with everything.
1: Interesting. And so, you know, I'm hearing you say that you did broadcasting for many different sports. Was there something particularly about baseball that drew you? Or was it just kind of that ended up being the niche that you felt most comfortable in?
0: I kind of fell into the baseball side of things. When I was a junior at the University of Missouri, I was, you know, still kind of wanting to work with a network or a university. And I knew in order to do so, I needed to be better at baseball play by play. And at that point, it was my weakest sport. So I had heard of summer collegiate leagues like the Cape and, the, and, and those types of leagues around the country. And I, you know, they match up perfect with a college student's schedule because their players are college students also. So I uh, figured I'll just spend a summer calling baseball. I mean, that's the best way is just to do reps. So I Googled summer collegiate leagues and Wikipedia at the time had a master list of every league in the country. So I went through every league, emailed every team's GM, my resume and tape. And I said, Hey, I'm a college student looking for just experience. I'd love to work for you kind of thing. I got two responses back. (laughs) One was in Southern Oregon. They'd already hired a broadcaster, but wanted to stay in touch. And the other was in Palmer, Alaska, uh, which is just outside of Anchorage. And so... I accepted it (laughs) I went to Alaska for a summer and I fell in fell in love with the day in day out work that you have to do in baseball because you have a game every night whether it's on the road or at home and so I just love that the fact that every night you get to end up sitting in a broadcast who's calling a baseball game whereas basketball is twice a week football is once a week I just love constantly working in those long hours and so that's kind of when I shifted from thinking oh, I want to work for a network like ESPN radio or something, or Westwood one sports to, I actually kind of want to work for a baseball team and then fill in my off seasons with other work.
1: Well, well done you making that happen out of college, kind of knowing I want to do this. And I'm, you know, having the gall to email all of those GMs and just say, I really want to come work for you. Yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: That's a nice job. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What's that? It paid off. (laughs) Yeah. Outside of working kind of with your grandfather, tell me about your first baseball broadcast. Like, are you nervous that night before or the day of when you're about to go live on it? What does that feel like when you're about to do that first baseball broadcast for you?
0: There's definitely nerves there. It's it's kind of more of an anxiousness a couple of days leading up and then the day of as we get closer and closer to first pitch, it's, you know, that pit in your stomach where you don't know if you need to go to the bathroom and throw up real real quick or just get on the air and just start broadcasting what um, was
1: the first game that you called
0: would have been a university of texas at dallas baseball game i don't remember the opponent might have been Concordia, but we sat they didn't have a booth so we sat right behind the fence of like right behind the plate so i would i remember being ve- very self-conscious because the players could hear us like talk and everything about them. So and I knew as an athlete, you know, I didn't want to hear anyone talking about me while I'm playing. And here I am just like the 16 year old kid that's like, oh, stepping to the plate, you know, and I right. So it it was helped me get more self-confidence in myself as a broadcaster, knowing that, you know, people are listening to me on the radio. I just can't see them. Um, but it's different to have the athlete be able to just turn around and look at you if you say something about them. <laughs>
1: hard. To, I was going to say, it's hard to say anything critical when they're standing five feet in front of
0: you. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Walk me through what are the, so you talked about going to Alaska while you were in college. What are the various clubs? I assume post post your graduate with Missouri. What are the various clubs that you've been involved with?
0: After or literally the day after I graduated from Mizzou, I drove from Missouri to Oregon because I actually did keep in touch with that general manager who reached out to me or responded to me when I initially sent those emails and was offered a job and I accepted. So I went to Medford, Oregon. They were a summer collegiate team. And then I spent two years there. And then I tried to break into minor league baseball, had some difficulties with affiliated teams, but then landed as the broadcast and media relations assistant for the St. Paul Saints who were at the time independent team in the American Association. They're now the AAA affiliate of the uh, Minnesota Twins. And then from there, I went from, I went to, I should say, uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And the Legends uh, were the single A affiliate of the Kansas City Royals and spent two, two years there and then up to Portland in March of 2020.
1: <laughs> I'm curious, you talked a little bit about some of the offseason work as well. With a lot of the clubs that you've been a part of, your titles have been kind of similar to with the Sea dogs manager, director of broadcasting or media relations. So when you're not in the broadcast booth, what are some of the other things that you are doing within those organizations?
0: Anything and everything the organization needs. I mean, for example, two hours ago, I was helping to put the tarp on the field. So in, in baseball, I, I think that's the beauty of baseball is whatever position you hold within the organization, it's not one-sided. It is multifaceted. So with most broadcast positions, the media relations is usually tagged on with it because you are the media. <laughs> and so, you you know, you can handle the, the media relations side, which is writing press releases, coordinating interviews with players, coaches, or staff, anything like that of pitching stories to reporters that, you know, I think that might take a special interest with say a player who's getting his master's degree. It might, you know, be better for an education reporter versus a sports reporter because they could relate to them more. Things like that. I've run social media accounts. I'm not, I'm assisting with that with the Sea Dogs, but uh, my last team, I was the one person who had Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, everything like that. Uh, I've helped run the AV department and making sure that anything you see on the video boards, I uh, uploaded or created myself. And then did all the hiring for camera people, uh, the press box, and and all of that kind of, and making their schedules and that kind of stuff. So it, it varies, but it, it just kind of adds to the the day to day unexpected twists and challenges sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and just to go back a little bit, had you heard of the Sea Dogs before you had come to Portland? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, everyone in the industry knows of the Sea Dogs because. Really. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I I remember my one of my best friends texted me at like 11 o'clock at night. And he was like, are you going for the Sea Dogs job? And because he saw it posted. And I was like, I laughed. I was like, no one ever leaves the Sea Dogs. It's just that type of organization that they just love it. And and no, there's never any openings. And he's like, no, Mike Antonellis, he's leaving. It's, it's open. You got to go for it. And so after I got over the disbelief that someone would leave Portland, which for good reason—I mean, Mike so went right. to AAA—I knew I had to apply because they have one of the best reputations. They're probably one of the top five teams in minor league baseball when it comes to just the amount of respect in the industry that you know that people that work in the industry have for them. So I knew exactly who the Sea Dogs were. I applied actually that night. I think I sent in my resume and everything at like midnight probably. And I applied, I, kn- I knew that it would be a very competitive position because I knew, I knew who was still in the job market. I knew who was trying to move up and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of knew what my competition was at, but yeah, I, I applied. And then Jeff Iquesa, the president and general manager emailed me, I think the next day to set up an interview and it kind of went from there.
1: So then you get the call, and you're going to be the voice of the Portland Sea Dogs. How does how does that feel? I was shocked.
0: I knew that my interviews were going pretty well. I felt pretty good about it, but I had been working to break into AA for a couple of years now, and just to be able to hear a job had been offered to me and that it was the Sea Dogs, I kind of it kind of took me a second, um, and someone told me years ago that they were like you should never accept a job on the spot always try and play you know hard to get and ask for a couple days to think about it so I did that I was so so dumb you know I I definitely should have accepted on the spot because I knew I was going to take it but I was like oh uh let me let me think about it let me take a couple days because you know the back of my mind it was February of 2020 so our, our season was starting in a couple months and I didn't want to leave Lexington um, without a broadcaster that's soon to the, that close to the season. That was my only kind of holdup. Other than that, I knew exactly, I knew I was going to accept it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then the Sea Dogs organization announces you, obviously we knew that there was a big hole left from Mike Antonellis moving up to AAA. The, the program announces you as being the new broadcaster for the Sea Dogs. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there's four other women in the minor leagues that are, that call games. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I assume you must be a kind of a tight knit group of people. What was the reaction from maybe them or from others in the industry? Did you hear from people once they were aware that you had been given this opportunity in this position?
0: Yeah. So funny thing was as my last kind of thing for Lexington, my last Duty, If you will, I was hosting all of the female broadcasters in Kentucky for a little female broadcaster kind of summit, if you will. So when they all arrived, that was a Saturday that I picked them all up from the airport and everything like that. And then I was leaving Monday to drive to Portland. It was very quick turnaround. And so I actually got to tell them all in person. Um, Oh, so
1: they heard from you. They hadn't heard from. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: So it was really cool. And Melanie Newman, who's with the Baltimore Orioles, she was there also. And so we kind of got to celebrate me going to Portland, her going to Baltimore because it wasn't announced Well, yeah, I think it was announced at that time, but we kind of all got to come together. And that was the first time we'd all been together in the same spot. I've known Melanie for a couple of years now. We've seen each other. We've crossed paths a couple of times, but I had never met the other female broadcasters. So it was really cool to immediately kind of all become really close friends um, and then be able to kind of celebrate two of us moving up and and you know being able to to celebrate our accomplishments so far but yeah that was you know in 2020 and a year later I mean I text them all every day uh we have a group message you know if we listen to each other's broadcasts, like the voice of the Reading Fight and Phil she was looking, listening for a pronunciation of one of her players and weirdly enough, came across one of my calls and, you know, texted us all like, oh my gosh, I just heard Emma. uh, Yeah. So it's, it's a fantastic camaraderie that there's only four other women in the country that know exactly what it's like to be a female in the sport. And then outside of them, I mean, I know Susan Waldman with the Yankees and Jenny Kavnar with the Rockies for a few years. So it's just really special to know that I can text them and say, hey, I'm going to double A and they have my back any day of the week.
1: That's great. And so you moved up here from Lexington mm-hmm. in February and March of 2020? Yeah, I think it was March 13th.
0: If I remember. Right,
1: so you move up here from Lexington. You are ready to start with Portland Sea Dogs. You go to work on your first day of work in March of 2020. Tell me what well, happens.
0: Well, I'm excited as anyone else would be on their first day of work. And I walk in and... There were no masks. I knew that we knew that something was going on with a, a virus. I remember I tried to shake the hand of uh, one of our assistant general managers. He goes, "Oh no, no! I think there's that COVID thing." And uh, our president calls a an all staff meeting at 8:45 that morning. We're all socially distanced upstairs in our offices, and he says, "Well, I, I think that uh, that this is getting pretty bad, and, and we want to take everyone's safety into account. So I think we're going to start to work from home." And we're gonna do that for, for the next few months. I don't know. And then he, <laughs> then he was like, oh, by the way, this is Emma. She's our new broadcaster.
1: Not the ideal <laughs> way to start your first day at a new job.
0: Not at all. And I was just sitting there like, oh, this is not good. I mean, I had an air mattress and boxes. And then like my TV on the floor, like I did you didn't have- know
1: anybody in Portland? Did you know or or Maine? Did you know the area at all?
0: I knew nothing. The furthest north that I'd been up to that point was Boston. I did come up for about twenty four hours uh, in February that of that year, but um, to see the city. But that was it. I knew I went to um, totally blanking on the name of the restaurant in the old port in the old port. But I knew that one restaurant. I'd had no friends, no family. Nobody up here, and then we enter a pandemic, and <laughs> it was unique. So, to say the least,
1: that is, yeah, I was gonna say that's one way to put it. So, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hear what it was like for Emma to navigate those waters of working from home while trying to meet staff and engaging with the Sea Dogs fans. We'll be right back.
0: Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. I'm not gonna lie, there were tears that night. It was just so disappointing. And to have that kind of little glimmer of hope to uh, propel me through the summer and everything like that, and to always have that in the back of my mind, all right, well, I'll get to call a game sometime in 2020. To have that all taken away, it was pretty bad.
1: Welcome back to the day that changed everything. We are talking with Emma Tiedemann, Director of Broadcasting for the Portland Sea Dogs about what it was like to start with the Sea Dogs on the day that she was sent home uh, amid the COVID-19 pandemic. So, Emma, you were saying it was quite a unique experience to come in on your first day of work, not know anybody, and essentially be sent home for, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if your organization was anything like ours, we were sent home, oh, we'll be home for maybe two, four weeks, and then we'll come back in. Was it like that for, like, was there kind of a, it'll just be a short period of time?
0: Yeah, initially it was like that, and you know, the, the season by that time had been postponed and so it wasn't canceled yet. So we were still going to be in season mode, ready to go whenever the season started up again, because in our minds, we were prepared for the players to go to spring training for a couple of weeks and then immediately get sent out to the affiliate. So our turnaround time would have been very quick. So we're like, all right, stay in the zone. We're going to work from home for like two weeks stops. And then we're back at it. And then a month passed and then six weeks passed. And it was just like, Okay, this is not looking good for us, regardless if we get back into the office anytime soon, but for a season at all, kind of looking at the other professional sports leagues around the country.
1: Yeah. How do you do that? You know, just I'm thinking it was your first day that you got sent home. You don't know your coworkers. You don't know your management staff. Like You don't know any of these people. You don't know them, period, let alone what their work style is or what their communication style is. How do you navigate all that while working remotely?
0: It was tough, but luckily, you know, the staff here, and, and that's the beauty of minor league baseball too, is extremely friendly and fun loving people. So when we got sent home, Before we all left, my coworkers kind of came to me and they had their cell phones written down, cell phone numbers written down. So if I got too lonely or anything like that, I could call them up. And you know, if I needed food recommendations, I could just text them real quick saying, oh, I'm really feeling barbecue. What do you, what do you have for me? (laughs) And then the other two women in the office immediately emailed me and they're like, oh, we're just talking that it probably is pretty bad that you just were sitting home and you have nothing up here. So um, here are our cell phone numbers. So everyone was really welcoming and nice. But yeah, I got to know everyone over Zoom and I don't know about you, but I'm really kind of sick of Zoom. I love talking to people in person and yeah. it's really tough sometimes to recognize senses of humor and and those little things. And uh, so for the most part, I just kind of stepped back and I was a little bit quiet and just kind of read the room and, and try to pick up, um, you know, everyone's style of everything that way, but it was hard. I, I do not recommend it.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hopefully we won't have to do it again. So when did they officially call the season?
0: Ooh, I think it was June, June or July. I kind of like to black out that date, <laughs> but we kind of knew it was coming. Uh, we were just kind of waiting for the official word um, at that point because just with timing of players not being in shape and ready, we knew that it was going to be very difficult. Even if we started in July, you know, who wants a two-week season? You know, at that point, just keep the players at the complexes. So we knew it was coming, but it didn't soften the blow when I actually hit the press release.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, how did it feel when you get that call that says, yeah, so it's officially, we're official.
0: Even though I knew it was coming, I'm not going to lie, there were tears that night. I, I mean, it was just so disappointing. And, you know, to have that kind of little glimmer of hope to, uh, you know, propel me through the summer and everything like that. And to always have that in the back of my mind, all right, well, I'll get to call a a game sometime in 2020. To have that all taken away, it was, it was pretty bad. But, um, you know, we went full force planning for 2021 and getting our safety protocols up to date and everything like that. So we looked ahead even further, but it it was a really bad day.
1: (laughs) And so I'm curious, we talked earlier a little bit about the other things that you do as director of broadcasting that, you know, aren't reliant upon the game happening. So I'm curious, what were some of those things last year or how did you stay engaged with a fan? Did it matter that you hadn't had much interaction with the fan base yet in in able to stay engaged with them? And I'm just curious to kind of hear your thoughts on that.
0: Um, no, it wasn't too difficult because we had such positive feedback when we did announce that I was the broadcaster. So for the majority of fans, you know, they at least followed Antonellis enough to know that Mike was going up to AAA. He knew he wasn't uh, with the Sea Dogs. And then followed us on social media enough to know that, oh, there's a new voice (laughs) for the team. So last summer, we really focused on social media. And so I hosted a couple of live Zoom events on our Facebook with our then manager, our pitching coach, our hitting coach. Just trying to hear how they were handling 2020 because it looked very different from just... So you were still
1: engaging people with what was happening within the club, it just wasn't in a manner in which people could necessarily come to the ballpark and see it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and even we did some uh, MLB, the show, the video game stuff. And so um, our president's son would play the game and as the Sea Dogs, and then I would voice over the highlights. And so, we, <laughs> you know, we tried a little bit of everything.
1: Did I read something about you started a podcast last year as well? I did the
0: Portland Sea Dogs podcast. Yeah, we uh, I mean, I talked with Quite a few different people on there and kind of tried to bring in some some fun facts about baseball that a lot of people don't re- don't really realize when you come out to a game, whether that's, you know, take me out to the ball game and the fact that it's actually about a woman who just wants, you know, a guy to take her on a date to a baseball
1: game, which is something Interesting. I very much,
0: yeah, I very much relate to that. So different things like that to focus on the Sea Dogs, but then focus on baseball as a whole.
1: Are, are you planning on continuing that podcast once the season starts back up again?
0: That's the plan. It'll be a little bit tricky because of the um, COVID regulations and stuff through Major League Baseball to to talk with the players. But that's the plan as of now. It'll just be a lot of Zoom.
1: Fun. As we're sitting here talking today, opening day is, what, not even a week away. What are you, other than actually having a season, what are you looking forward to for the 2021 season?
0: That first broadcast. One of my favorite moments uh, whenever I'm calling a game is – right after the anthem when everyone's sitting back down and the starting pitcher goes out and starts to throw. And then that's usually when the music starts to build and we have play ball that's my favorite moment is because everything's calm for a second. I don't have to go right back on the air. You know, I usually have some bumper bumper music playing. So I have a second to kind of take it all in. And that's what I did in Lexington for my first broadcast. I, I was really nervous because we got a lot of press coverage over the fact that I was the second female to ever be a play-by-play voice of a minor league team. And, so I I felt the the pressure of every woman ever wanting to be a broadcaster on my shoulders. But I found solace in that that one quiet moment that I could have in the booth before I, I went on. So ever since that year, that's always been my favorite moment. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking forward to is when I sit back down, I can see, you know, the fans and, and everything here at Hadlock Field and and finally have my moment
1: here in twenty twenty one. Nice. Just taking that deep breath and then going. Exactly. One more question before we go to break. We talked about you coming into the office and being sent home and not being able to engage with your coworkers and your management and all that. Are you back in the office yet? Or, you guys, or have you been able to actually meet some of these people in person and, um, and actually be able to work with them in, I guess, closer contact than, than working remotely?
0: Oh, definitely. I think we came back in the office in May of 2020 may yeah i think it was mid-may and since then i mean we haven't come within six feet of each other um and we've only really seen each other with masks on yeah i mean I've, i've become pretty close with a couple of them and it's it's feeling more like a normal office aside from you know the masks and everything like that but i mean we're we're definitely already in season mode and i definitely feel a lot more comfortable seeing them in person and interacting with them face-to-face
1: via Zoom. So, no, And you've gotten great. to meet Slugger in person?
0: Oh, me and Slugger have had multiple appearances together, car rides, all of it. Yeah, so me and Slugger, we're pretty tight now. We've been in a few videos together too. <laughs>
1: nice. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk with Emma about some advice she can offer and some of the lessons learned over the last chaotic year that she's had starting this new position with Portland Sea Dogs.
0: A business plan. You had one. And then you had to rework that plan and rework the rework. At Norway Savings, our commercial lending team knows that work. The nights, the weekends, the constant pivot. And since we've been there, it only makes sense to be here, helping you every step of the way, mastering the art of business. Norway Savings, live your life in color. You're in that position for a reason hopefully hire the best person for the job and that's you and so if things change you just got to keep your head up and keep moving forward
1: welcome back to the day that changed everything we are with emma tiedemann from the portland sea dogs kind of wrapping up our conversation about her chaotic first year with the portland sea dogs going into the office being sent home on the same day and you know engaging with a fan base for a team that she hadn't met before but it sounds like it it went well and you you handled it well and kind of continued but you were you were able to find new ways to bring bring the sea dogs to them last year.
0: Definitely. It, it was some creative workings within the office and everyone was a part of submitting ideas and and looking out for what other teams were doing to try and get ideas and it was definitely a team effort of just trying to digitally engage with a fan base that loves to come and watch baseball in
1: person (laughs) yeah that's an interesting thought actually emma was there a lot of collaboration between minor league teams on ideas that they were having or things that they were seeing worked or things that they didn't see work did you guys talk with some of your i guess competitors but also people that are within the within the league to get ideas
0: Yeah, actually we, I mean, count, we had countless zoom calls with different, whether it was with the former Eastern League, now the Northeast league. And then, you know, within ticketing itself um, within promotion. So we kind of had some opportunities to talk with other people in the industry and see what they were doing. So like, like I mentioned earlier with our live zoom interviews, there was a team, I think it was, I think it was Columbus. It was a triple A team in the Midwest and they were trying to do the same thing that we were doing but they were having trouble but saw that we had success with it so i told them how to do the encoder for facebook live through zoom and and all that kind of stuff so i think in that sense yes we you know we try and and be unique and everything but in 2020 when we none of us were making money uh, we're just trying to do our best i think that we all kind of came together to make sure that minor league baseball can emerge on the other side of 2020s still successful still engaging fans and um still reminding people that we're that we're here you know yeah. and that we have a staff
1: and so as as you're getting ready to call your first game next week you know obviously the preference would be that it didn't happen but are you able to look back and see that the postponement of being able to start broadcasting allowed you to settle in or provided you any benefits with starting with the organization?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. You know, every place I, I moved to, which, which there are a few places I've lived, Yeah. Um. but each place, you know, I've moved and I've hit the ground running. So I haven't really been able to experience a, a town or a city until after the season, if I stayed on during the off season. So here I was expecting the same thing. You know, I was going to start mid-March or season was going to start early April, I was going to travel, be on the road, have no time to really experience Portland outside of Hadlock Field in my apartment. So I think that I have been able to have way more experiences, especially experiencing a um, summer in Maine and not really have to worry about going to a seven o'clock game. I was able to take my dog, you know, hiking and, and camping and, and everything for the first time because I had some free weekends that I didn't expect to have. So I definitely. Think that it's made me fall in love with Portland and and made me fall in love with Maine a lot quicker than I probably would have just because, you know, I'm able to go eat out, I'm able to go to the old port or, you know, go to the beach or whatever that is and and just really love the place that I'm at now.
1: Yeah. And we talked a little bit before about the group of women in in minor league and a few women uh, in major league broadcasting as well. How do you see women kind of continuing to expand their role in sports broadcasting?
0: I definitely see more women in the booth. I think that that's the biggest challenge right now is whether it's play by play or color, you know, you see a lot of women as you know sideline reporters and stuff but I think that with each new woman that is in the booth I think that just makes it easier for the next next woman to come up behind her and, and take another job. So. I think that we're expanding. Our numbers are still pretty low, but we have added on in the last couple of years. And it's really cool. I mean, even just yesterday, there's a uh, an independent team that has a female as one of their assistants for the play-by-play. And so it's really cool to now be able to reach out to her, welcome her into the, our small little circle. And hopefully that kind of camaraderie will help her stay in the industry because it's not only getting women to you know come in the booth and, and call play-by-play, but it's also keeping them in the booth and helping them achieve their dreams whether it's you know staying in minor league baseball or, or going up to major league baseball
1: yeah it's nice that you guys have each other to kind of depend on and rely on and also encourage each other
0: yeah definitely and, and i mean when i was in my, when i started minor league baseball just three years ago now it was me and kirsten karbach who, who she's not in baseball anymore but it was just the two of us and then now as we start 2021 you know, there's four, there's five of us and we have a text, daily text chain and Snapchat and all that kind of stuff that like, we're even um, going to be voicing each other's commercials this weekend and, and oh, just huh. hand it to each other. So it's cool that, you know, our voices will be on their broadcast too. And it's just really cool to, to have their backs and, and knowing that they have mine.
1: Yeah. I'm curious to hear if you have any advice for somebody who you know, starts a new position or, you know, maybe gets a promotion or whatever the case might be. And the reality just turns out at least initially to be so much different than what they had planned on. Do you have any thoughts or advice for people who find themselves in that position?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, my, my challenge was kind of keeping my confidence level up in myself and my job, because, you know, for me, my primary position and, and job responsibility was taken away. So I kind of, realize as a person that I kind of pull a lot of self-confidence from the fact that I can broadcast the heck out of a baseball game and I can do everything else but that's what I work for every night and that's why you know I do everything else so I can put on a headset at game time and and call baseball games so it's really just you kind of have to change your expectation expectations and And from there, just know that you were hired to do a job and to go and do it the best that you can, because you were in that position for a reason. They, you know, hopefully hired the best person for the job and that's, that's you. And so if things change, you just got to keep your head up and keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. I think it also sounded like part of what you were saying in there was also the large portion of your job was kind of gone away. And so you found other ways to like make yourself valuable to the organization and make sure you were contributing to the organization as well.
0: Definitely, you know. Sometimes you just kind of have have to pivot and take your talents to maybe something else, like doing voiceover for a video game. So, you know, it's it's just teaching you to be versatile, and uh, and you might find some new things out about yourself. Like, hey, you know, video games aren't that bad. So,
1: <laughs> they can be done play by play. Exactly. I'm curious because it sounds like your career trajectory has kind of continued to take you. Up these steps from the collegiate level through now to the double A level. What's your dream? Like what what do you, you know, when you're thinking like, I want to become this someday? Is it is it announcing for the Red Sox? Is it calling a World Series game? What's your dream?
0: Right now it's just to be a play by play radio voice of a major league team. I don't know if I can handle the Red Sox. That fan base is very passionate as I have learned and it's already intimidating enough to be their double A voice. I don't know <laughs> if I can handle the big league club, um, but honestly, it's just any major league club. If it is the Red Sox, that's awesome. I don't think I could do like the Yankees or the Cubs either because again, very passionate fan bases. I don't have the right accent either, but yeah, it's just, I just want to call radio and be the radio voice of a, of a major league team someday.
1: The Day That Changed Everything is a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI or Main Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The MainBiz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.